Well, I want to thank you for supporting my ministry and allowing me to be a teacher of God's Word full-time. And all the kids at camp this week, I got to be a part of their theological training. We had 11 chapels. And when I heard that the theme for the week was going to be Camp Joy, I knew what part of the Bible I wanted to spend 11 chapels with the upper elementary kids at Glad Tidings Bible Camp. And so my mind has been immersed in the book of Philippians this week. It's the letter of joy. It was seven years ago that we as a congregation went verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this amazing letter, this much beloved letter. And I would like you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 here today. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 starts off with a very straightforward, simple, and yet very profound command. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, to just give the command to rejoice would be an impossible command to obey, but he doesn't just say rejoice, he says Rejoice in the Lord. And that's what provides all of the context that we need in order to be able to understand how is it that someone can command joy. Joy is an emotion. Joy is a feeling. And it seems like emotions and feelings are largely out of our control. Of course, that's not true. It only seems that way to us because so often we do lose control of our emotions, but if you look at the emotions in your life, they are things that come from your beliefs. They are things that come from your attitude, your mindset. They are things that come from your actions. They are things that come from your relationships. And so as you cultivate true beliefs, as you cultivate healthy relationships, as you do right actions and set your mind on the right things, that is where joy will come from. And so you have a lot more control over your emotions than you have been led to believe. And the joy that here is commanded to us as believers, a joyful command, is specifically stated as a joy that is in the Lord. Now, there are many things in this world that are not causes of joy. Sin, suffering, sorrow, death, all of that that is very prominent in the world that we live in is not a cause for joy. But the wonderful truth of God's Word, for those of us who have a biblical worldview, a biblical mindset, is that God has overcome sin and death. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that sin and death are defeated and that goodness and righteousness and eternal life have come and are available for whosoever will. This is a cause of deep and profound rejoicing. And the more that you learn about God, the more you learn about the gospel, the more that you believe and your faith in those things is established and strengthened, the more joy you are going to be able to experience as you rejoice in the Lord. As I said before, the human heart is amazingly complex. It can be sorrowful about one thing and joyful about another thing at the same time. And we've got this mixture of emotions that is going on within us. And it's not wrong to be sorrowful about things that cause sorrow. It's right to be sorrowful about sin. It's right to be sorrowful about evil. It's right to be sorrowful about death. Those are sorrowful things. We should feel sorrow. 
But don't allow your mind to get so focused on evil that you do not rejoice in good. Do not allow your mind to get so focused on evil that you are not able to rejoice deeply, profoundly in what is good. You know, the value of your joy, this is what I told you seven years ago, and it's good for us to be reminded, the value of your joy is directly proportional to the value of what you choose to rejoice in. If you choose to rejoice in things that are frivolous, if you choose to rejoice in things that are temporary, if you choose to rejoice in things that are shallow, then your joy is going to be temporary, frivolous, and shallow. And so many people in the world, they have that kind of joy because they rejoice in things that are temporary, shallow, and frivolous. And there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in something that's temporary. Temporary things bring a temporary joy. But the command to rejoice in the Lord is the command to rejoice in someone who is eternal, someone who is deep and profound, who is of utmost significance. The call to rejoice in the Lord is a call to rejoice in someone who is indestructible and unstoppable. And so if you rejoice in the Lord, then you have a joy that is everlasting. You have a joy that is indestructible. You have a joy that is deep and profound and invincible. That's the most wonderful joy of all. And that's the joy that sets the course of our life, the pursuit of our life. You know, depression comes from very often many things, but one of the main causes of depression is, is not having a meaningful goal to shoot for with meaningful expectations of achievement. Now, when people get lost in life and they don't know what their purpose is, they don't know what they're living for, they don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, well, then the body responds to the soul's lack of direction and purpose and says, well, I guess I don't have any energy because I've got nothing that is worth spending energy on. But when the human soul recognizes what is the goal of life, what is the reason to get out of bed in the morning, what is our ambition, our pursuit, then energy flows to the body from the soul. We are a very complex creation. But the Word of God gives us the instruction that we need so that we have all that we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us. Now, I have several introductions this morning since we're jumping into the middle of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So that's the first introduction. Our second introduction has to do with a very famous race that took place in the 20th century called the Miracle Mile. Here we have some pictures of the two men who were featured in the Miracle Mile, the stadium in which they ran in Vancouver, Canada, and how they crossed the finish line. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Miracle Mile. The 20th century was an amazing century where many things that people thought were impossible were accomplished and done. You can think about some of those things. What were some of the things that people thought were impossible that somehow mankind accomplished in the 20th century? Many doctors, many scientists, many athletes thought that a four-minute mile was impossible. They thought that there was no way that a human being could run that long and that hard and not have irreparable damage done to their bodies. Well, the first man to run under four minutes, a mile long, was on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister. 
He ran that in Oxford, England. But he held that world record for just six weeks because his rival down in Australia, John Landy, he beat Bannister's time by more than a second, running the mile in three minutes and 58 seconds. And there was an upcoming race where Bannister and Landy were going to run against each other in the mile. That was the showdown that came to be known as the Miracle Mile. Now, one of the runners, Landy, was known for starting the race very quickly and running hard all the way through. But his opponent, Bannister, ran the first three laps at a much slower pace, but then in the final lap, he really turned on the speed and sprinted as hard as he could for the finish line. And so, as the race started, it started as everyone expected that it would, with Landy breaking out far in front and Bannister keeping his own pace. But as they got to the final lap, what many people thought could happen, did happen. You see it immortalized here in the bronze that is outside of the stadium there in Vancouver, that just as Landy was looking over his shoulder, the wrong shoulder, <laughs> looking over his left shoulder, to see where Bannister was as they approached the end of the race, then Bannister flew by him and breasted the tape, as the photo shows there, number 329, as he ran that last lap at incredible speed. A few minutes prior to the race, Bannister had told a Canadian track official, I will run myself to the point of exhaustion to win. I will run myself to the point of exhaustion to win. And I bring this story before you here this morning because this is exactly the metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses for his ambition, for his drive, for his energy that he exerted in pursuing the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The pursuit of knowing Christ is our theme for this morning because that is the very heart and soul of Christian joy. Christian joy is found in a relationship. That relationship is with God's Son, Jesus Christ. Our relationship with one another is an, an overflow, a benefit of that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And while everyone who is born again is born into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing Christ takes work. It takes discipline. It takes effort. And the Apostle Paul is given to us in Scripture as the example. And if you are a Christian and you lack joy in your life, I can tell you the major cause. The major cause is you don't know Christ well enough. You are not close enough to Jesus Christ. You are not enough like Him in your attitudes. You are not enough like Him in your actions. You are not enough like Him in your beliefs. Because Jesus Christ is the joyful man. And to be friends with Him is to be like Him. And to be like Him is to be overflowing with divine joy. Lead us to the joy divine is our prayer this morning. As we're there in Philippians chapter 3, the command that starts off the chapter, rejoice in the Lord, that is going to be informed, that's going to be fleshed out throughout the rest of the chapter. He warns us about false teachers in the following verses. Look at those. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He warns us about the joy thieves. The joy thieves are those who lead Christians away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. They come and they tell you, we're your friends, we're here to help you. We love Christ and we want to help you love Christ. But they contradict the teaching of the apostles. They are false teachers, they are false workers, they are those who are dressed in shepherd's clothing but are in fact the wolves who are seeking to destroy the flock. We must be on our guard, we must be warned time and time again about the danger of the joy thieves who would stop us from pursuing Jesus Christ in the right way. And as Paul goes on, he talks about how these joy thieves, they put confidence in the flesh in contrast to the apostles. And Paul, when he's talking about the flesh, what he's talking about is who we are apart from Jesus Christ. I think that's a good definition for when Paul refers to the flesh throughout Philippians, throughout Romans, throughout all of his writings. It's one of his favorite terms. And the flesh, in context for Paul, is, is who we are apart from the Spirit of Jesus Christ at work in our lives, apart from that intimate fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ our Lord. It's man apart from God. And what is man apart from God but sinful? Without him, we can do nothing. And so these people, they profess to know the Lord, but in their practice they deny him. And instead of putting confidence in Jesus, what they actually have confidence in is themselves. And so Paul goes on to say, the confidence that he could have had in himself and the confidence that he did have in himself before he came to know Christ. Look at what it says. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, you could say self-confidence. If anyone else has reason for self-confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had everything going for him in Judaism. And Judaism was his world. Judaism was, was the, the world of Israel, where if you wanted to get ahead, he had every benefit. But notice what he says. Everything that I had in myself apart from Christ, he says, I, whatever gain I had in verse 7, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All this stuff that would have made Paul somebody in the eyes of his community... Paul says, it was all a negative. It was all holding me back. Instead of being a benefit, it was a negative. I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, Paul says in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Look at that. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's where our joy comes from. Knowing Christ Jesus. It's hard to overestimate the value of a true friend. And true friendship is hard to find. A man might give the whole world for one true friend, and it would be a good trait. Better to have a, a good friend that loves you and cares about you than to have a, a mansion full of leeches who pretend to be your friend and just want to use you. 
Many people who win the lottery find out that many of their friends are not really great friends. And now they just want money. Friendship is not easy to find. The Bible says that the wise man Solomon found one man out of a thousand who was faithful and true. One man out of a thousand. Well, if a human friend is worth more than the world, what is the surpassing value of having Jesus Christ as your friend? What in your life, out of all the blessings that God has given you, your health, your mind, your talents, your citizenship, what out of all that you have could it all compare and even begin to be discussed in the same ballpark as friendship with Jesus Christ? The one who created the universe. The one who upholds all things by the word of his power. The one who has the name that is above every name. And he says, you are my friend. My true friend. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always look out for you. I will never stop loving you. I will always help you. I am with you to the end. Brothers. What's that worth? Well, Paul says it's surpassing. Notice how he compares everything else to it. He says, for his sake, for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. Which is actually kind of a curse word that Paul uses here. This is not a proper term to use in proper society, this word rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul was on his way to being the man in Judaism. He had everything laid out for him. He was going to have respect. He was going to have authority, power. He was going to have money. He was going to have all the privileges that you could have by being elevated and exalted in Jewish society. Paul says, garbage. It's garbage. I gave it all up. Now instead of being exalted in Jerusalem, they all want to kill me. But I gained something. I gained friendship with Jesus Christ. And what if he had become the man in Jerusalem? He would have died in 70 AD along with all the other Jews when Titus burned the city, slaughtered those who were resisting. Yeah, you can have this world, but give me Jesus, is what Paul says. I want to focus our attention this morning, after several introductions here, on the pursuit of knowing Christ that is found in verses 12 through 16. Gaining Christ, knowing Christ, that is the introduction to the all-out effort that Paul pours into straining toward the goal. That's the title of verses 12 down through the end of the chapter here, and that's our, our focus here. Paul had known Jesus Christ at the time that he was writing this book for over 30 years. And Paul knew him more deeply than I do. And yet, it was the burning passion in the heart of the Apostle Paul to know him more. Paul wasn't depressed. Paul didn't have no purpose. He's like, well, I'm getting older, kind of done everything, not much left in life for me. That was not Paul's attitude at all. Paul said, I've got purpose. I've got a goal. 
I got something that I'm training for. I got something that I'm disciplining myself for, like these guys. People who put everything they had into being the best at what they did. And they did it for something that was relatively meaningless. A four-minute mile. And Paul gave that kind of effort, that kind of focus, that kind of determination to something that really means most. So this morning, let's follow the example of Paul's footstep. Let's be inspired by his example. Let's become athletes in the race of Christ-likeness and let us press on for the goal, for the perfection. Let's read the verses. Follow along in your Bibles. I'll read them for us out loud. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul says in verse 12. If the goal was the four-minute mile, then Paul had not broken the four-minute mile yet. He was still working and training for that goal, for that purpose. And what is the goal? What is it that he's trying to attain? Well, he said in the previous verse, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You say, well, what, Paul, what do you mean by that? I mean, we're all going to attain the resurrection from the dead. Christ is coming back. Everyone who's in Christ is going to be resurrected. And even if I die before Christ comes, I get to be resurrected when Christ does come back. And so why do you have to work so hard for something that is guaranteed? You're going to have it. Because Paul says, I want it now. I want it now. I don't want to wait for the glory of perfection. When he's talking about attaining to the resurrection of the dead, what he's talking about is the perfect soul, the perfect spirit, how we will be completely like Christ and know Christ the way that Christ has known us when we are resurrected. And Paul says, that's my destiny, and I am working with everything that is within me to have it now. I'm not just some Christian laying around saying, oh yeah, Christ will come back and glorify me and, and I'll just kind of be a mediocre Christian in the meantime because we're all going to get there eventually. Do you ever have that mindset? Do you ever find yourself sinking into that and thinking, well, you know, I'm going to heaven. It's all good. I'll be resurrected. I don't have to work too hard at this Christian thing. If that's your mindset, then you need to realign your values. You are not valuing what is valuable. And you are being distracted by things that are relatively valueless. And if you would think clearly, you would recognize that being like Christ is the most valuable thing that you can pursue and that you can attain. Let's continue in chapter 3. He says, I haven't already obtained this, this perfection in Christ. I'm not already perfect. But... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We respond to God because God has first loved us. And this pressing on for perfection is just another way of saying we love him because he has first loved us. Becoming Christ-like is learning how to love him. And so Paul is echoing that same thought. We love him because he first loved us. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Be what you are destined to be. Who you are is determined by your future, not by your past. Notice what Paul says next. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He repeats that a third time for solemn emphasis. But one thing... I love that. One thing. 
Life is complicated. We're complicated creatures. We've got many desires, many goals, many ambitions. But there's one thing. There's one thing that's all important. Young people, have you figured out what the one thing is? Do you know what is most important in your life? There's many things that you could dream about, many things and goals that you could set. But there's one thing that is above them all. There's one thing that matters, and if you lost everything else, and you couldn't accomplish anything else in life, there's one thing that you must never lose sight of. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, I haven't gotten it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I am pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Self-discipline, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can become self-disciplined and self-controlled. And the more self-disciplined and self-controlled you get, the more power and energy you can put into the pursuit of the goal. And you get stronger and stronger day by day. And you use that strength that you've got to continue to grow stronger because you've got a destiny. Who are you? You are not defined by your past. You are defined by your destiny. And your destiny is to be perfect in Jesus Christ. So if that's who you are, do it. Be it. Be true to what God has called you to be. Don't be bound by who you were born as. Be set free to be whom you were born again to be. This is a totally different mindset than what we have in the world. Let's finish reading the paragraph. This upward call of God in Christ Jesus, this is the example that Paul lays out for us, and then he turns to us as Christians, speaking through his friends the Philippians, but really in the Spirit of God, speaking to all of us, he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is why Christian friendship is so important. That you need good Christian examples around you of people who are not content Christians. People who are discontent with their amount of knowledge of God. People who are discontent with their holiness. People who are discontent with the amount of love that they show towards one another in Christ and who are working hard every day, giving it everything they've got to increase in holiness and to increase in love and to increase in the knowledge of God, setting an example so that we can say, hey, I'm training for this, come and train with me hey, I'm working hard at this, let's do it together. And you see examples, and this is how God has worked in my life. I saw examples of Christians who were passionate about knowing Christ and following the Lord. And I said, I want to be like them. And here Paul lays out himself and others as an example. Make yourself an example to the flock. You don't have to be a preacher to be an example. Every Christian can have this attitude. Every Christian can have this as their birthright. 
to become someone who is so pursuing God, so pursuing holiness, that he is an example, that she is an example to all the flock, somebody that we can imitate. We need good examples. The Apostle Paul was pretty passionate about this. I've got a verse here I want to show you before we wrap things up. and That's in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Let me tell you about the context here. So the Apostle Paul is traveling. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. And the prophets who are speaking by the Spirit of God in the first century, they were telling Paul that God was predicting that when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be arrested and didn't know what was going to happen to him after that. And so they were trying to tell Paul, don't go. You know, just go someplace else. That God has given you a warning that if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. So take that warning and, and go the other way. And Paul, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was doing it for the Lord. And so he said, you know, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? And then he said, what he says in verse 24, he said, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Your life. We're talking about your life here. Paul says, I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only. This is exactly the same thought he's expressing here in Philippians after he's been to Jerusalem, after he's been arrested, as he's awaiting his trial and he might be put to death, Paul is writing the letter on joy and he says the same thing. Everything I had, it's loss. There's only one thing I want and that's to be like Christ and to have friendship with Christ. And he says in Acts chapter 20, if only... There's the one thing that's his consuming passion. It's on a totally different level from any other desire or ambition that he has. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I tell you, you're not an apostle going around starting new churches where Christ hasn't been preached, but you have a ministry. You have been called. You have been equipped You have good works that God has destined before for you to accomplish and that is your goal in life. That is your purpose in life. That's why you do everything that you do. It's why you brush your teeth. It's why you show up at work. It's why you drive your car. It's why you go see the doctor. It's why you eat your food. So that you can do the good works that God has destined you to do because by doing what God has destined you to do, you're going to be walking with God. And by walking with God, you're going to know God and have fellowship with God. And when you have fellowship with God and you know God, then you will have peace in your soul. And you will have joy coming out of your heart. Because you will be what you were created to be. You will be who you were created to be. And you'll be with the one that you were created to know and to enjoy fellowship with. My life is not precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. And then, after Paul was released from his imprisonment in Philippi, he continued to do the ministry that God had given him to do and enjoyed fellowship with Jesus Christ every step along the way. And then when he was arrested again and he was about to be put to death, He took his pen up one more time to write to his co-worker in the Lord, Timothy, and he told him, I have fought the good fight. I have 
finished the race. I have kept the faith. He lived a life abandoned to God. And when he came to his last days, he had no regrets. God is here speaking to us today. We don't know how much time each one of us have left in our race. But whatever time we have, whether we are young or whether we are advanced, let's run with all of our might. Let's use all the strength that God has given us. Let's use our imagination. Let's use our discipline. Let's use our self-control. Let's focus and put effort into doing what God wants us to do with Jesus Christ by our side, encouraging us every step along the way. You're not in this race alone. You've got a trainer. You've got a coach. You've got a friend. And he is right there with you to the end. So stick with it. Don't be sleeping in and leaving your trainer out on the track wondering where you are. Don't be out on the town with the boys and you're supposed to be there at the track. You've got a real friend. You've got a real calling. You've got something important to accomplish. Let's get to the end of our race and be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning with hearts full of gratitude and joy because of what you have done for us. You've called us out of darkness into your glorious light. You've set us free from sin and you've made us your children. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to abide with us and to minister to our hearts daily so that you are always with us. Lord God, we want to walk by the Spirit. We want to obey all of your instructions. For in so doing, we discipline and train ourselves for godliness. And in becoming godly, we get to enjoy our fellowship with you more. You, God, are our best friend. You are the one who provides meaning and purpose to our lives and all that we do. To be with you, to enjoy fellowship with you, it's our one thing. And we owe that to you because we were lost and we were foolish and, and we didn't know where joy was found and we didn't know who created us and we were going in a direction that brought temporary pleasure but just brought lasting pain and guilt and regret and death. But Lord, you've changed all that. And so we thank you and we tell you here from our hearts today, not trusting in ourselves and our self-confidence, but knowing that your power is at work within us and that you've given us everything that we need. And so we tell you, Lord God, that today we're going to make up our minds. We're going to renew our commitment to train for the race and that we might run in such a way that we would win, that we would be setting an example for others who would come behind us, others who are running the race with us, that we would do things that people thought were impossible. That we would set new marks of godliness and holiness and love and joy. And that others might be able to follow along and running in our wake, even run past us and overtake us and, and reach that perfection, that beauty of holiness, that glory that is our birthright and our destiny in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the mindset of Paul as he had the mindset of Christ who is our hero, our forerunner, our helper, our best friend. Amen.